Hello and welcome into another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. We've got a packed show for you today. We are going to be reviewing another Academy Award Best Picture nominee, 1917. We're going to play a game called 19 What? And we're going to finish up with our schoolyard pick of war movies. Let's do it. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me, as always, your co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. I am your other co-host, Cam. I kind of had a weird Australian I accent was, there. Did you hear that? I was going to say that. Your co-host, <laughs> Cam Wiggs. Or maybe it was like Cockney. I think it was more Cockney. I think I was Cockney. You were Australian. I'm terrible. That was bizarre. I can't control these things. I Because I this is, I think, a product of the fact that I still can't hear out of my right ear. Mm-hmm. It has to be. I've been able to hear out of my right ear, Kirk, for 13 days. Ouch. 13 days. So last time when I was like, first of all, I listened back to the episode and I was like mouth breathing. I apologize so much for anyone who I subjected to that. I was sick as a dog. Mm-hmm. Went to the doctor the next day. They were like, you got full-blown bronchitis and an upper respiratory infection. That's insane. And I was like, ain't nobody got time for that. I got bronchitis. Yeah. So it was not, it was not good. It's still not good. The fact that you had bronchitis and we didn't know that you were undiagnosed. I thought you performed fantastic last week. I appreciate it. In the episode. Yeah. That was my, that was my moment of perseverance. Yeah. It's like you with the canker sore, uh, with the what's popping. (laughs) I think, I think yours is better. No, those are equal. Those are equal. (laughs) I won't hear anything else. Um, so I still have bronchitis. Update. Still have bronchitis. Still can't uh, hear out of your right ear. I went through a full round of steroids, which was like five days or something like that. Nope. Nothing. I have an inhaler. It's not doing a ton for me. It does It does stop my coughing fits mm-hmm. when those happen. That could happen at any time during this podcast. Just keep an eye out for that. We're going to let it run. I have your inhaler on you. Yeah, I think it'd be good. Yeah, we'll just let it go. <laughs> just good radio. Yeah. Um, so that's where we're at. But the worst part is that I can't hear out of my ear cannot hear it's so horrible it doesn't hurt okay it's like when you um you know like you get off an airplane and your ears full Mm -hmm. just for 13 days that's what it feels like is it like when you get like water in your ear like it's similar except that when you get water in your ear you can kind of like slosh it around yeah you know you can kind of like feel it it's like a fluid thing so it kind of ebbs and flows yeah this is just constant and there's no it just is relentless do you know what i used to do when i got water in my ear what's that this is probably horrible and no one should take this advice but i would take little dixie cups that you put on your bathroom sink Uh uh-huh the tiny ones and i would fill it halfway up with water i would cup it to my ear I'd fling my head up so the Dixie cup was facing up. I would let the water in my ear equalize pop, and then I'd flip my head out to let the water rush out of my ear. Oh. And I think that's why I have hearing problems today. <laughs> could be. That could, you know what, Kirk? You might be onto something there. I've gotten a lot of wacky suggestions for how to solve this. Have you? Okay. Um, what I learned, though, is that 
the same remedies that you use to get water out of your ear won't work for this because it's like a totally different thing, which I'm super depressed about because I was like, oh, I know all the tricks. What about the ear, the candle wax thing? Would that work? I'm terrified of that. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what that is. Someone explained it to me and I was like, I don't even... I don't even get that at all. I don't know what it entails, but, but except I'm, for... I'm getting close to like that point where I would say, okay, burn my ear off. Well, that's good social media right there. You get like a really long like dinner table candle, light the thing, and then somehow you... I know, but how does that work? I don't know. I don't get the science of it. I don't know either. Someone needs to like carpe diem us how this works. I don't, yes. I don't get it. I don't get the science behind Send it. Send us an instructional video and tag us in it. Right. Yeah. Ryan, right before we came in here, was suggesting that I plug all of my orifices and just blow <laughs> as hard as I can. And I was like, yeah, good idea, right? Uh, good effort. <laughs> Pretty sure my eardrum would explode if I did that. I'm not positive, but I'm, I have a, I think there's a high percentage chance that I get hurt if I do that. Having that, I have this image, since you said all orifices, I have this image of you in the fetal position just squeezing your body yeah. as tightly as you can. Yeah. Clenching is the word you should use. Clenching. So yeah. <laughs> just to make it as graphic as possible. But no, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm scared of that. Yeah, that's probably good. So I'm going back to the doctor tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell them, because last time they gave me nothing for the ear. I was telling them, I was like, so I have this throat thing, have this cough. At the time, I was like, I want to make sure this is not coronavirus. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, it's not coronavirus. Double check tomorrow. You would know. I'll double check. I will. And, but I was like, you know, the thing that's really bothering me is my ear. And the doctor did not care. He was like, he was like, oh, take some Mucinex. It'll be fine. I've been taking Mucinex like it's going out of style. Like there's not going to be any more Mucinex on the planet. Nothing. I don't nada. think Mucinex works. I want some sort of like military grade drain cleaner mm-hmm. that I can pour in my ear. We could try that too. Just Drano. <laughs> just pour Drano in my ear and see what You're happens. scared of the candle, but Drano down the ear. <laughs> it just makes sense to me. The candle is the unknown. The candle makes no... The candle feels like witch doctor to me. Yeah. Okay. I see that. There's a little bit of like shamanism going on there, mm. and I'm scared I'm scared of the unknown. I'm scared of the dark arts. Into so. the unknown. You just got to trust Elsa. Uh, Elsa would have done it. She would. Um, so yeah, any suggestions? I'll continue to take them. I, I've... I've tried a lot of the things that people have told me, but they haven't worked. Mm-hmm. And the hopping on one foot thing that you do with the pool, that doesn't, that for sure doesn't work here. I think it actually made it worse. Because mm. they told me to blow my nose, blow your nose. I'm like, you think I'm not blowing my nose? I'm blowing my nose. Yes. I have a cold, you know, or bronchitis or whatever you want to call it. Like, All I'm, of blo- it. I'm blowing my nose. So that's where we're at. And hopefully by the time we record next week's episode, I will be fully healed, but no guarantees. I hope so. All right. We've, we really do have a packed show today. We really do. We're going to play a game. You have a game for us. I do. I've prepared my homework for, for said game. So we're all squared away there. Yes. We're calling it what? 19 what? Yes, we are. Do you have to say it like that? Absolutely. 19 what? There's no other if you say 19 what, then that's a different game that I don't even know. Yeah, that's lame. But 19 what? Yeah. Every time you have to like say it higher as a competition as well. Part yeah. of the competition. And then um the other thing we're doing is we're reviewing this movie called 1917. Yes, we are. It has been nominated for the most prestigious award in the land, which is best picture. Yes. At the Academy Awards. Um and fun fact about this, I was looking back because I wanted to make sure that we had our listeners covered for the Oscars. Because, you know, not everybody gets to see every movie. It's actually really hard. 
it's hard to see all the best picture nominees. It's hard to see even beyond that, you know, other movies that are nominated. And so I want to make sure we had our listeners covered on, on the big category. We, after this week, will have reviewed eight of nine. And then next week we'll review Jojo rabbit nine of nine. So even if you haven't seen these movies, you'll be able to have an intelligent conversation with people at work. And that's what it's all about. That's right. You'll be able to make the best guess if you're doing like an office gambling pool. Of, yes. I think this one's going to win. Yeah. You'll you, have the info. You'll have all that info and feel free to uh, steal our takes and act like they're yours. Yeah. If you think that, if you think that our takes are good, like just be like, Oh yeah, I really didn't like this, that or the other about parasite, you know? Yeah. I mean, we didn't dislike many things about Parasite, but that's just an example. Dude, thinking about all the nominees, like, they have all been so good. I've been questioning myself, like, would I have changed the rating on that, having seen the other films? So there is one movie that I want to change the rating. (gasps) I'm not going to, but I'm going to state that. So I'll get into it in the review, but one of my New Year's resolutions is to be not as nice to movies. Because oh. I think I was a softy galore last year. I was like looking back through that spreadsheet we have of all of our scores. And I don't think I was like way off on anything. Like I still, most of those still resonate with me, but there are some in particular that I'm like, yeah, that was a little soft. Ooh. So we'll talk about that. Okay. But yeah, cause whenever I look at them, I'm looking at the best picture nominees. I'm saying one through nine, what would my ranking be? And then I look at my scores and I was like, and one of these doesn't line sure. up. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So there is one movie in particular that I'll talk about later that I think I should have been a little harder on. I can't wait. Maybe we should save like one mulligan a year. I where like you can that. like go back and change your score. Because it's a lot of pressure to score these. Because I don't know. You're using one scoring system to grade everything. It's also like in the moment. So we see the movies and we come and we review them pretty much within a week's time, two weeks time max. Think about movies you saw 20 years ago and you're like, wow, that was a great movie. Or you saw as a kid and you're like, man, that's like the best movie ever. And then you think about it a couple of years later, you just question your life choices. Like I used to love Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Like it was just this prestigious movie as well. Yeah. It is not. It is not at all. Yeah, and I mean, some things just hit you harder at certain points in life. Yes. Like, I loved Marriage Story. Mm -hmm. Love it. I gave it a 9.9. I was nervous about giving that score because there's probably going to be something that's better than it at some point in my life. And maybe even three years from now, I'll look back and be like, eh, maybe that it was just at a time in life. But, you know, that's we score it so it's definitive. And if we have to go back and defend it later, so be it. Chiseled in stone, That's except right. for our mulligan. Except for our mulligan, <laughs> which we're, we're just making up the rules as we go. We're like that kid that comes to the playground and like has their ball, and they're like, let's play this game. And then they're like, well, okay, I lost, so like the new rule is this. We're yes. doing that. We're that guy. And that guy is the worst. <laughs> that guy is the worst. You can't change the rules, Billy. Yeah, the worst. Okay, um, before we dive into what's popping... Um, I, I did feel like we should probably take a moment to um, recognize the horrible tragedy that happened um, last weekend on Sunday where uh, nine people lost their lives in a helicopter accident. Two people in that group, uh, Kobe and Gigi, Gigi Bryant, um, obviously huge, 
huge, huge influences and in culture and sports and media and all of those things. Um, with this being a movie podcast, uh, it's worth noting that Kobe Bryant was also an aspiring film producer. He wanted to do some writing. He wanted to do many things and actually had won an Academy Award for a short film that he wrote called Dear Basketball, um, which we actually posted on social and highly recommend that you go check out. Um, just a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, it's completely, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about for so many reasons. One is that, you know, the, the big story that's grabbing the headlines is that Kobe Bryant passed away, but there were eight other people, including his young daughter who were on that helicopter. It's hard because how do you make sense of it? You know, it's, it's, it's just completely senseless. And it's hard because Kobe Bryant is in many ways, I actually, this is what I said on Twitter. Not that Twitter is a good place to go for times like this, but that's kind of where everybody was going because I think we were all so shocked by it. But Kobe Bryant is a folktale. You know, he's like John Henry or, or like Paul Bunyan. Like everybody has these stories about Kobe that just made him larger than life. You know, you hear things like, well, he would do these workouts and he would he would do it like assisted by a doctor, but would work into work until he completely passed out. And like, oh my goodness, like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Or he would, you know, he shot free throws at the free throw line with the torn Achilles. You know, like all these crazy stories. And so it's always hard when someone who is that inspirational and just seemingly larger than life and so full of life. You know, he was truly just getting started. Um, gets cut down short and especially, you know, I mean, his young daughter was only 13 years old and, um, Alyssa Altabelli, who was on the, the aircraft was a young girl as well. It's just, it's senseless and horrible. Um, yep. and hate that we have to talk about it, but definitely want to pay our respects and, uh, give our thoughts and prayers to all the families that are involved in that tragedy over the weekend. Indeed. It's one of the I guess uh, the most inspiring things, uh, kind of the moving forward of healing is today, which is the 20 or the 30th, January 30th, they, the team, the rest of the basketball team released a picture of all the girls. They were all together. The rest of the team, they had black mamba shirts on their jerseys and they were smiling. They were all together. And that to me, that looks like we're, we're still here. And what can we do to keep their memory alive? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Kobe's whole essence, and I don't want to act like, you know, I was some huge Kobe fan or anything, but everybody knew Kobe Bryant and he was just completely an inspirational figure. His whole essence was about perseverance. You know, he, he went through all kinds of things and continued fighting and would stop at nothing to continue on. And so really like, um, as painful as it's been, especially, you know, I'm a huge NBA fan, been watching the games this week, just gut-wrenchingly sad watching these players and, and how close he was to them. And it's just, it's horrible, but his essence was to carry on. And that's what he, you know, that's what he emanated and what he taught so many people to do was to just keep pushing, keep moving forward. And so now is definitely the time to start healing. I think, um, you know, when things like hap when things like this happen, it is good to see people come together that are, you know, from different backgrounds and in a time where we talk about all the time, our country's extremely divided. You know, a lot of people came together and were, you know, telling people that they love them and things like that. So there, there is, um, some silver lining though. It's impossible to make sense out of this. And, uh, hopefully if you're one of the people that were affected by this, first of all, you should feel okay with being affected by it, even though you obviously none of us know Kobe Bryant personally, but, um, 
the relationships that you have with people that you look up to are very real, whether you know them or not. So don't ever feel like it's weird to be hurt by this. And if, if you are in that situation, like so many are, hopefully we can help you, uh, on the healing process and help you give you some, give you some joy to your week. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's what we'll say. And, uh, sorry to be a downer, but hopefully, um, you know, just keep all those people in your in your thoughts and prayers as you go through the next couple of weeks because they're going through a hard time. All right, let's with that move into what's popping, and we can lighten things up a little bit. Pop it up. Let's go. Weird week. Weird. Um, can you talk to me about this Spider Man? I saw it on the way. I saw as I was walking into here. Yeah. Into the studio, I'm at a loss for words. A what appeared to be a real Spider-Man. Yes. And Disneyland is the one putting this out there. They're like, we've got a Spider-Man. And I'm like, what's happening? Is mm-hmm. this a person? It's an animatronic. Yes. It, it, they're going to have uh, uh, an animatronic Spider-Man soar in Disneyland above the new Avengers Park. Yikes. Just swing in his web, flying it above looks everybody. so real. It doesn't it, well, Can we post that? We need to post the video. We absolutely The will. video is insane. They did, yeah, this beautiful teaser for it, and it was like, wait, what am I seeing? Is that... It That's is. That's going to be mind-blowing. It will be. Yeah. If it works, which I have serious doubts about, <laughs> um, even though it's Imagineering, and like I watched that whole Disney Imagineering project documentary, and it's awesome, mm-hmm. and they do amazing things. This is so wild. I just don't, I can't, my small brain cannot figure out how this will work, but. Mm-hmm. So my, my first thoughts are they're probably going to have like a giant invisible net over the entire park where if this thing falls, it just lands on the net. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. It has to have a fail safe. When we were there, we actually, Jackie and I were at Disneyland over the summer with her family and they had this whole area blocked off where they're building Avengers campus, mm-hmm. um, which is where this will be. And it's not it's not the world's largest chunk of land. So what you're proposing could be feasible. I'm worried that it would like look crappy, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, how do you do it otherwise? I mean, how do you have that thing flying around? So this hasn't opened. When is it set to open next year? This summer, this summer. So let's say it fails. Let's say, let's say it fails before they let park goers in, you know, I think we could just bring, you know, Toby McGuire, uh, Andrew Garfield, bring back anyone who's played Tom Holland can have a couple nights, you know, and just say, hey, you're going you're gonna to be swinging go for the for next it. hour over yeah. Avengers Campus. Sure. I think that might even be a safer bet. You can get some uh, some new jobs out of it. So um, what, what De- Disney definitely does not want to happen is to have this animatronic come crashing down on a family. Right. That'd be absolutely I mean, th- they wouldn't even put themselves in a position where something like that could happen, right. you know? Um and did we talk on the podcast about the giant X-Wings that they were testing? Yeah. Or did, no. I don't know that we did. No, we did not. So this is like, here's my thing. What What's crazier? The fact that they're testing giant X-Wing, like car vehicle-sized drones to fly over Galaxy's Edge, or they're testing this human-sized thing, a robot, to fling across the sky. I kind of think it's this. <laughs> you think it's Spider-Man? I kind of do. <laughs> because... The, like, the physics of a spaceship drone floating around makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Because it, you can have motors on it and you can have, like, it can operate very much like a drone. This thing does not operate like a drone. It looks like a, it looks like a dude. Yeah. 
So I don't, I think that's scarier to me. Uh, I would agree because, you know, if the drones go down, they're probably not just going to fall straight down. Yeah. Spider-Man goes down, he's falling, he's coming right at you. Well, and I think the drones will probably be pretty lightweight. You know, they can use carbon fiber or whatever to Mm. like make it a really lightweight body. And then, um, I don't know. I don't think they would need that much to make that happen. This thing's probably going to be pretty heavy just because of all of the mechanics that have to go into it to make it look that real. Yeah, I'm still for it. I want to see this thing. I want to see it. I want to see it bad. The video's just sick. Someone tweeted out. They said, I'm going to cry when I see this in person because they're so excited. Oh, it's got to be. I mean, it's going to be really, really sick. To see Spider-Man just swinging over you. Like, that's so cool. That's going to be very cool. I I, uh, actually thought this was opening next year up until I saw this article. And I'm... I like immediately was like, okay, how, how can I get to Disneyland? Like how, how can I get to Disneyland? Cause Avengers campus just seems like it's going to be awesome. No, like Southwest flights has like $59 rates right yeah, now. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I think we can make this happen. One way. I'll just live there. <laughs> see, see you never. <laughs> Bye. Uh, so yeah, that looks very interesting. We'll post the video on social so you guys can check that out. It's insanely real. And that will be interesting. Let's stay, let's stay in the Disney verse. Actually, all of our news is Disney related. Oh, look at that. Believe it or not. Wow. Um, sometimes I don't realize it until afterwards, but they're the only ones making waves this week. Um, Sebastian Stan, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with that name, he plays the winter soldier slash Bucky Barnes in the MCU. And, um, he had an interesting day on social media today. So what Sebastian Stan did was take a screenshot of a Twitter conversation And let me see if I can pull this up real quick. So he took a screenshot of two tweets. The first tweet is from uh, a verified Marvel account, Marvel UK. It's like their United Kingdom account. And it's, it's Bucky with his arm around Steve Rogers from the first Avenger movie. Mm -hmm. He's like tiny still. Steve Rogers is tiny. Yeah. And it just says the line from the movie together till the end of the line. And some random person commented underneath and said, Together until the end of the line or until bad, inconsistent, out of character writing turns Steve Rogers into his own antithesis. Shouldn't it be together until the end of the lie now? And so Bucky screenshots this. I will, I will say he put like one of those like flushed emojis over top of it. Like the one with the big bug eyes. That's like, like a little embarrassed. Yikes. Uh But what people are reading into this is that Sebastian Stan is like, I'm with this person who said this about the writing and how Steve Rogers and Bucky's story wasn't wrapped up well. Like that's what people are saying is that he's basically taking the John Boyega route and being like, yeah, the writing of that movie wasn't any good. I don't know if that's the case from that, but I don't know why he did this. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I actually personally thought they wrapped up Steve Rogers story really nicely now, Bucky is definitely an argument. I think Bucky was definitely underused as the yes. series went on. I think so, too. And, like, where do we really leave him at the end of Endgame? I'm not quite sure. To be, if, I, if I had he's to tell you like what He's still, like, in sidekick mode, right? He absolutely is. So what's, like, the next part of his story? Like, obviously, we'll hear it in Falcon and Winter Soldier, but... Like, where does he go since he was the sidekick and will still be the sidekick? Right. 
But I mean, Sebastian Stan can't be that upset, right? He's like keeps signing contracts with Disney. He had like a massive contract when he first signed on as Bucky, and now he's doing the show. And like, I'll tell you this: I don't think a lot of these actors had um, some had social media social media etiquette training because you know when Tom Holland when Sony was like, never mind, you're our Spider Man. They he's unfollowed um, Marvel right away, right? Yeah. And so same with this. It's he like, had a very emotional outburst on yes. social media. Like if I did that, I feel like I'd lose my job. Like hands down. Yeah, If for I did sure. something crazy like that. But when, when celebrities do this, I just feel like they should really check themselves. Like it's fine to feel the way you feel, but maybe call your agent, call someone and be like, can, can you believe this? I don't know. It's just a little too public. Yeah, it's it's a hard tightrope to walk because I get what you're saying. Like the the don't bite the hand that feeds you thing exactly. is, definitely, is definitely there and should be considered. Um, but I also kind of hate the people that are like telling LeBron James to stick to sports whenever he has takes. Mm-hmm. You know, if he... Not that this is the same thing as that, but basically, like they're they're people too, and they have thoughts. But I do I do think there is like an element, um, and I think what you're saying is like there's an element of like just being a classy, respectful individual yeah. to like like you worked with these people and for these people. Yep. So it's like eh, it's it's kind of disrespectful, and if that's if you're okay with being disrespectful, then I guess go for it. But I guess we just need more. We needed more time before Sebastian Stan did this, right? I so, think so too. Yeah, because there's plenty of actors who now, like let's say people who are 50 who who've been doing movies since they've been 15, and they start making fun of the stuff they did when they were 15 back in the 60s and 70s. Right. You know, and that gets me every time. That that makes me crack up because it's been established by just tons of critics. Like that was awful. Um, but now like that was done just a few years ago. So right. just give us some time, Sebastian. Yeah. And I think my main thing here is like, I don't have any hot takes on this, but I mostly just want to see where this goes because mm-hmm. this is a trend now. Um, because Kit Harrington was very outspoken about game of Thrones, you know, in the past, uh, We've seen Robert Pattinson do things like this with like Twilight. <laughs> well, that's that's different, which though. is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just this is a trend. John Boyega and Oscar Isaac both said things about Star Wars, so I don't know where it goes, but I can't imagine like Disney is just going to let their actors continue to sabotage their product, pro- or like property, basically their movies, mm-hmm. um, though. So far, I don't think it's really much of a blip on the radar for them. I want more, like you said. What? What's? What? Give me some like uh, sentences. Give me a paragraph on what you meant by that emoji, Sebastian Stan. I know it's a weird thing, because I'm not certain that he meant what people think he meant. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was just like, "Wow, that's a scorching hot take." Like, chill out. It's Captain. You know what I mean? It could be that. It could be. So. Who knows? We'll we'll see what happens with Sebastian. Be safe out there, Sebastian. We don't. I I actually really like really really like him. He's so good. I think he's excellent in just about everything that he's in, and I am glad that he's the Winter Soldier. I do wish they used him more. Um, so I'm excited for this show. But yeah, there's a there's a lot going on there. Next one, more Disney remake news. We're getting a live action Bambi. Live action. I'm using just oodles of air quotes over here <laughs> live action in the same vein as the lion king meaning yeah. it's created to 
mirror real life. Oscar nominated line. That's King. right. And mm-hmm. then uh, live action Pinocchio. Okay. Which if ever there was a movie I didn't want to see again in any format, <laughs> I think it's Pinocchio. And I get that that movie's like a classic and is, pro- is probably objectively good, but I just hate it. Mm-hmm. I just don't like it. It's a horrifying tale. I don't like that he gets turned into the donkey. I don't like Pleasure Island. That whole thing is just whack. That whale is horrifying. It's just weird. It's a weird, weird story. It makes sense that they're doing Pinocchio, though, because it's this long journey, and there's all this symbolism with it. So it makes it makes sense that Disney's going after that. I don't think we need, uh, what did you say, Bambi, right? Yeah, Bambi. Yeah, we don't need Bambi. I don't need it. I don't need it. It's done. Yeah. Well, and I know we have drastically different opinions on The Lion King, mm-hmm. but the thing about The Lion King is they created the movie and they took like a different angle with it. Like they made it more dramatic mm-hmm. than like funny. And, and it was still funny, but you know, that's been the kind of the theme for all of the remakes is make it more dramatic, which is why I'm actually, like I've said, in favor of the Mulan one. Cause I think that that story really like lends itself to a more dramatic retelling. <laughs> If there was ever a movie that didn't lend itself to a more dramatic retelling, it was Bambi. Like, that becomes very, very sad and very, very real. <laughs> We're just going to get, like, the the mourning and grieving scene of, of Bambi losing. <laughs> like, if it wasn't for Flower and Thumper, which, who knows what state that... I mean, are they going to be back? I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like this is going to be horribly sad mm. and just really dark and weird. <laughs> I don't know. I'm... That's like the era of Disney movies that I didn't love, like that type of animation. I don't know when Bambi came out, but I think Pinocchio came out in like 1940-something. Sure. Um, not my fave. I wish we could vote like on Disney+, Plus if you're a Disney Plus subscriber. Say, hey, we're thinking about doing these new live-action remakes of our films. We're going to do whatever one everyone votes for. Yeah. A, it'll help people more subscription for Disney plus and B it will help rid out that from happening. Yeah. There, there are some movie concepts out there that I think mm-hmm. just really lend themselves to it. I thought jungle book was good. Mm-hmm. I actually thought peach dragon was really good because the original peach dragon sucks. Mm-hmm. And the new one was kind of a cool different way to tell that story. The, so yeah, just pick the ones that are good for it. Don't pick the ones that we already love. We need Disney to start listening to our podcast so that they, they can hear all of our great ideas. I agree. Our what if ideas and our yes. suggestions on making Disney better because pff, they need it. Yeah, they're doing terribly. I mean, just look at them. They they can't make any money. They're falling apart. You know what? It's going to be hilarious when Bambi makes like a billion dollars in the box office. <laughs> and then we'll be sitting here like, ah, <laughs> uh, whatever. See, like Fox and the Hound would be so sad redone. Oh, yeah. you, you can't do Fox Gut and wrenchy. the Hound. It's already horribly sad. It'd be way worse. From beat one, Fox and the Hound just makes you sad. Yeah, they're like, hey, you want to be sad? Great, here's Fox and the Hound. <laughs> Enjoy the next hour and a half of crying. Which I love Fox and the Hound, but Ugh. I would not want to ever see it dramatized more. Yes. So, that's coming. Next, Kenobi. Something that we are very excited about. There were some anxious moments over the past week regarding Kenobi. There were all these rumors swirling. I was seeing it all over Twitter. Like Kenobi's going to be canceled. There's, you know, discrepancies with the script. Lucasfilm executives like Kathleen Kennedy didn't like the scripts. And 
Um, the timeline's not going to hit and all these things, rumors galore. And I was like, Oh crap, this is how it happens. You know, this is how you, you hear all that. And then all of a sudden it's like, whatever is canceled. Um, luckily comicbooks.com talked to Ewan McGregor Mm -hmm. and he used some colorful language, but basically said, chill, we're good. Like we're, there's nothing wrong with the scripts. I mean, that's what he's, he's basically saying is like the whole script thing was a, was nonsense. Like, yes, production's on hold right now, but we're still on time. We're still on track. We're going to release at the same time. It basically sounded like not even a scheduling conflict. It almost sounded like, hey, we've got some great things planned. We're going to start doing that at the beginning of next year. No big deal. Yeah, and I know that some of their other shows are moving up. Like, I think Falcon and Winter Soldier's release date got moved up to August, and I think they're just maybe just, like, rearranging the chairs a little bit. Yeah. So when you get momentum on something, you can't really put a timeline on it. You just say, Hey, listen, this is, this is hot right now. Let's keep writing it. We know this is going to be good. Ewan said he read most of the scripts and he really enjoyed them. Yeah. We have nothing to worry about. That's right. Trust in Ewan. He has our best interest in mind and just stop with the rumors. It's scaring me. It's so scary <laughs> because we're only getting five episodes of this thing, Kirk. Five. Oh, I thought it was more. No, I think it's five episodes. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's five episodes. I'm sure it is. That's I'll that. double check. I'll well, fact check. You know, good things come in small packages. And we don't want to overdo it. We don't want to stretch it out too far. We want just the right amount of Kenobi. That's what I'm saying. I'm I'm already feeling like so concerned that we're not gonna have enough time. And so when people are saying things like it's gonna get cancelled, it just gives me so much anxiety that I can't my heart cannot take it. Mm-hmm. Especially with the bronchitis. You know, you're already having I know. Some I've, I've already problems. got shortness of breath, Kirk. I don't <laughs> need heart palpitations. That's like, those are two of the things that lead to a heart attack. No, those are two symptoms of a heart attack. I don't know. That's not good. We're not doctors. We don't want it. Okay. Let's move on to our game. Let's now that do we're it. done with Disney Palooza news. Ooh. Um, That's its own segment now. <laughs> Disney Palooza. Every, every single week for an hour. Yeah, let's play our game. 19 what 19 what all right tell us how this game works kirk this game is very exciting to me there have Mm. been some fantastic things that have happened in history Mm. we're gonna try to look on some of the the sillier things or the outstanding things not necessarily like sad but just like can you believe this oh ironic funny silly crazy happenings any time in history. Tried to stick to the 1900s, but I have a few that slipped before into the 1800s. Sorry. Well, I followed the rules and I stayed in the 1900s, but <laughs> I don't know that mine are like hilarious or outstanding or yeah. whatever. Mine aren't like slapstick funny. They're okay. just, they're so interesting. I feel I, like, I hope they're interesting. <laughs> I, feel, <laughs> I feel like we'll have two very different lists, but let's find out. Let's, let's see. Let's oh, ahead. and then the goal is, so like if I read you something or if you read me something, the opposite person's going to try to guess what year it was within like a five year range. Oh, we get five years. I'm going to go five years. On either side or is it closest without going over? Either side. Okay. So we get 10 year window. That's right. I think I can hit that on most of these. Let's find out. I'm very scared. I really like history, but I'm terrible at like placing it. Yeah. So. Let's do it. Okay. You go first. All right, Cameron. <clears throat> I need you to tell me when the Great Emu War was. Let me tell you about the Great Emu War because I know you've Emu War. Okay. I know you've studied up on it. Yeah, I'm. I'm 
not to brag, but yes, I know much about it. But go ahead and tell me what you think it is, and then I'll tell you what it what it is. As I am a great emu war specialist, it was the overpopulation of emus in Australia. Um, this was after World War One, sometime after World War One. The mm-hmm. wildlife management took on a military operation that failed. They had an overpopulation of emus. That's they, right. They were trying to kill the emus. They tried to kill them. They took two attempts, and guess what? The emus still won. It I is love it. Reported that they they um, used over twenty five hundred rounds of ammunition. Like they were trying to gun these things down, and they failed. Did you see the new Jumanji movie? I saw the first one, no, but the not the new next one. level. The next level. No. There's a scene where they're being chased by. I think they're ostriches. Okay. But that's what I'm picturing. They're, they're being chased by like thousands of ostriches <laughs> they're paying homage to it just like maybe that. they are yeah yeah that sounds like my worst nightmare a giant bird just taking bullets straight in the chest you know <laughs> you're just like unloading an ak-47 into this thing and it just keeps coming at you that's what i'm picturing yeah um well i'm glad you asked kirk because i know so much about this conflict <laughs> and i'm happy to report that the great so is this when the emu war started <laughs> or ended <laughs> it or was, was it the same day <laughs> It was in a short period of time. Um, great. I'm going to say it was 1936. Stop. What was it? 1932. Boom! Well done. Nailed it. That was wonderful. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I mean, Australia's had its share of, of horrors lately, but I really think the Great Emu War was really rough. It's a black mark on the history of Australia that their military couldn't take down the emus. Militarized operation to control the I mean, it was the 30s, though. Yeah. Though, they had some... Like, I've played a lot of Call of Duty games. Mm -hmm. They should have had what they needed to take care of the birds. This happened in my sister's uh, neighborhood. At some point, when she lived in Alabama, they had too many geese. They rounded them up into, like, a vacant lot. You know, like in Hey Arnold, when they have the vacant lot that's, like, dirty? Basically like that. And they said beware there will be gunfire on this day and there's thousands and thousands of geese they lured in there and um they succeeded it it's was, the snow geese man there's they were just too many of those guys attacking people in the streets so yeah, they are aggressive yeah. i know this because i went to uh, siue which has one of the oh. most robust and aggressive geese populations yes, in the does. world and then after we left they allowed you to defend yourself Yes, because someone was attacked and injured mm-hmm. by a goose. But before, if you attacked or retaliated, you were expelled. Expelled? Expelled. Wow. Because it's like a national safe haven for them. See, I think they've definitely changed their tune on that because they mm-hmm. tried to like round up a bunch of them and kill them and donate them to animal or donate them to like food banks, like get sure. them cleaned and all that. And people were like, no, don't kill the geese. Just let me protect myself and we'll just let them live. And I was like, well, we should probably kill the geese. <laughs> like there's like, I like animals and all that, but there's a, like a lot of geese and they're all very angry all the time. So many geese. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Let's move on to mine. I'm going to fail. Let's go. Can you tell me when, um, are you familiar with the book HG Wells, uh, wrote called war of the worlds? Absolutely. Well, did you know that at a certain time in uh, in history, that was broadcast over the air as a Halloween special, mm. and people thought it was legit. They thought the Earth was being invaded by aliens because it was being broadcast over the radio, and it was meant to th- sound very authentic. Ah. And some people were harming themselves, you know, like trying to get away. They thought it was the end of the world, all of those things. It was very bad. 
It's yeah, very yes, great. I remember my great 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 grandfather told me about this yes. of sitting by fireside and uh, listening to this. Good story. to hear. So mm-hmm. you could tell me when in the 1900s this occurred. I can. I can. I could tell you that it was exactly in 1911. Uh, <laughs> Dang it. 1938. Oh man! So right around the same time as the Emu oh, War. It was a dark decade. <laughs> my great great grandfather, not my triple. That's great. right. Yep. I mixed up the stories. Yeah, people were actually like jumping out of windows and stuff. That's so bad bizarre. News. Well, it's just a different time, you know. If something was on the radio, it was like legit. I guess they should have like warned people for a couple of weeks. Like, well, hey. I mean, let's not jump the gun, you know. <laughs> like, if it's the end of the world, just wait to see it for yourself before you go harming yourself. Look out the window. Call somebody. Because if somebody was like hey, there's a giant asteroid headed towards Earth. Everyone's going to die in five hours. I'd probably just like let that play out. Double check the facts. I don't think I'd be like, well, I'm going to the top of the Chrysler building and calling it a day. Like, Whew. that's weird. Yeah. But it's a different era. Who knows? 1938. Those I people was... were like, we've seen emus take over countries. Now we got aliens. I'm out of here. I'm done. <laughs> this is nonsense. Oh, man. Next one. Russia runs out of vodka. Do you remember this day, Cameron? No. Russia ran out of vodka. You see, between... I just realized how easy this one is. <laughs> Between wait, don't give me too many details. Just tell me when did Russia run out of v- vodka? It was a very significant moment in history. Um, it <laughs> okay, okay. Well, yep, very significant moment in history. Every note I have tell you tells you exactly when this happened, so I can't tell you. So I'm guessing it's like when the wall came down. That would be my guess. Perhaps. So would they be celebrating that in Russia? I don't know. It was their wall, right? It was their wall, but did they like the wall? I don't know. No more vodka in the entire country. They no drank more it vodka. all. I'll tell you this. They drank it between two significant events. Within 22 hours, two different celebrations, they were what out of vodka. Two significant events? I have no idea. has to be the wall, right? It could, you, it could be something else. 1986. What is it? Between the announcement of Germany's World War II surrender on the radio and Stalin's address 22 hours later, Russia ran out of vodka. Wow. On May 9th and 10th, 1945. I wonder how many people died from alcohol poisoning. (laughs) I mean, probably a lot. Yay, the war is over. Oh, uh, you're dead because you drank too much. You drank too much. (laughs) Yeah, pretty insane. You hate to see it. They have a lot of vodka over there. I'm assuming that was still the case in the 1940s. Oh, yeah. We saw this in Inglorious Bastards. They were just drinking vodka left and right in that yeah. little bar, you know? Wow. So, pretty nutso. That's awesome. Good for them. <laughs> Congrats. It's a tragedy. Man, I was way off. I was like 40 years off. That's brutal. Hey, so was I. Um, you kind of like psyched me out with that. I liked that. That was a little crafty. Thank you. Okay. I'll try to do that with the rest of them. Next one. On this, during this historic year, Weird Al Yankovic released his first self-titled album. Hmm. It's called Weird Al Yankovic. This is hard because I liked Weird Al, but I wasn't like, like, what's their, what's their fan name? Like, you know how some people are. Oh, I don't know. You know, cheeseheads. I know Lin-Manuel Miranda is a huge Weird Al fan. Yes. Yeah. And I know that a lot of his stuff came out in the 90s, but when did his first one come out? That's right. Self-titled. 
He's kind of old. Was He's it kind of awesome? Was it a parody album? Can you yeah, tell I believe me that? so. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go. I think all this. I think. I think. I believe so. I'm gonna go 19. This is gonna be wrong. <laughs> 1988. Ooh, you just got it. 1983. Oh, oh so you're goodness. right on the upper <laughs> upper edge of that five year window. So well done, Ooh. well done, sir. I didn't know. Was there a big one? You know, before or after? Whew, I'm glad. Good job. Well done. Thank you. Next. Okay. This next one. This next event in 19. What? 19. What? Didn't actually take place in 19. The hundreds. Cheater. This is the cheatery. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> this took place in, I'll tell you, in the 1800s. Oh, great. I know a lot about the 1800s. <laughs> I know you do. You're, you're a specialist. You know, after we saw Hamilton, we basically knew everything that happened. Well, that was the 1700s, early 1800s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you just put the pieces together. All right, I'll figure it out. Andrew Jackson's funeral. He was the seventh president of these he United was, States. Uh, during the, he was around during the Reformation. And here's why I picked this. I wasn't just picking Andrew Jackson's funeral. Yeah, sure. That's kind of weird, right? Sure. Like, oh, when did he die? No, during his funeral. You see, he had a, a famous pet parrot. And this parrot swore like a sailor. <laughs> oh. And the parrot had to be removed from the funeral because it was swearing while they were trying to go through with the that's proceedings. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. That actually really, we went to Andrew Jackson's home yes. at Hermitage. I think it was like in Memphis or something like that, Nashville. I don't remember. Um, interesting dude. He claimed that a rabbit swam out of the like water and tried to attack him when he was president, like a, a rabbit. I think that was a different president. I'm pretty sure it was Andrew Jackson. I think it was a different one because that's one of my other things for you today. Is it? <laughs> yes. I'm looking that up. I'm fact-checking. Maybe there were two presidents that got attacked by a rabbit. Well, be careful. Only type in Andrew Jackson. (laughs) I am. I typed in Andrew Jackson rabbit. Yes. What's the funniest thing about the the, the, uh, parrot is that, you know, parrots repeat. So you only know that Andrew Jackson was just cursing up a storm when he was around this parrot. Yeah. So, okay. So Andrew Jackson was the seventh president of the United States. He was around during the... They called that the Reformations, right? That was like rebuilding of America. Maybe. Trail of Tears. Yeah, Trail of Tears. Responsible for the Trail of Tears. I'm guessing 1824. This was a tough one. That is incorrect. 1845. Dang, it was too early. That's okay. Well, I should have, I should have, he didn't die during his presidency. No, don't give me excuses, Kurt. Don't give me excuses. (laughs) I think that's probably when he was president. Yeah. I know for a fact it was. As you know, I'm an Andrew Jackson historian. (laughs) Rabbit story and all. (laughs) All right, next. Mine aren't as historical as yours. That's okay. They don't have to be. Pee Wee Herman. You know Pee Wee Herman? (laughs) Yes. There's this great film called Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. Mm -hmm. It's one one of the classics from my childhood. It was released in this year. Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. Mm. I just saw he's trying to make a new one happen. Yeah, here's a little bonus what's popping for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? Paul Rubens? Yes. He is trying to make another movie, a dark version of Pee Wee Herman. He actually tried to do this whenever he released Pee Wee Herman's Big Holiday on mm-hmm. Netflix with Judd Apatow helping him out there. 
he's trying to release a darker version about like drug addiction and fame. I was like, wow, that's incredibly heavy. And the Safty brothers are apparently interested. <laughs> well, I was like, that sounds, I mean, ooh. I like most of the things that are being said there, but not together. You know what? I don't like, um, Paul Rubens after his personal life came out. So yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I think we should just, just say, you know what? Just take your royalties and live alone. That's, yeah. That's I just, all. I have a near and dear spot in my heart for Pee Wee Herman, the character. What if we had someone else play? No, him. it has okay. to be him. Okay. It has to. All right. What am I guessing again? <laughs> when, when did Pee Wee Herman's big adventure come out? What year? 95 incorrect 1985 what 1985 oh my goodness that's right that's right oh wow the more you know kirk we're really good at this game (laughs) we really know our history okay what's next are you are you ready is this in the 1900s this is in the 1900s okay great yes um jimmy carter is attacked by a killer swimming rabbit oh was jimmy carter (laughs) the rabbit guy it was jimmy carter let me let me uh, fix that. He it was not a killer rabbit, but that's what people call the incident. It was a killer rabbit. He was fishing in his hometown of Plains, Georgia, while he was president. While he was a peanut farmer, or just while he was president. Pre- president, <laughs> but maybe he did both. You know, presidents continue their legacy and dynasties while they're in sure, office. Sometimes, sure. while in the hometown of Plains, Georgia, a rabbit being chased by dogs leapt into the water where he was fishing. And swam towards his boat, captured by Secret Service. There's a photo and video on the interwebs. 1987. That's a great guess. Thank you. That's a great guess. It is incorrect, but it is a great guess. I would not come near. How that. close? Uh, 19. Or sorry, <laughs> yeah, 1979. Ah, you're so close. You're so close. Oh, you said he was president. He was I president. Should, I should have thought about that. Was president. I was just thinking. I don't remember where Jimmy Carter fell in the presidency line. So, um, bravo to you. I would have said like 1960. <laughs> well, that was a that was a faux pas on my part. <laughs> He's still alive, Jimmy Carter. Somehow. Jimmy Carter is still alive. I think he has cancer, though. I think it's he's sad. I think he's going to live forever, despite cancer. Well, he survived the rabbit, so yes, <laughs> anything is possible. All right, next one. In this year, the root beer float was invented. Ooh. All of my years have been kind of close together, actually. Weirdly, weirdly, this was not intentional. Okay. The root beer float, the first ever root beer float. You love root beer I floats. love the root beer float. Yeah. That's why this is a significant day for me yeah. and for our entire society and modern civilization. I would be down to get a root beer float after we finish recording. Sure, certainly. I mean, I'm going to go home, but you, <laughs> you, you can absolutely do that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Believe what. in your dreams, Kirk. I'm check how late Dairy Queen is open. I don't even think they have a root beer float. Sonic does. Sonic makes a mean root beer float. Shout out Sonic. Yeah, buddy. First time root beer float. Yeah, which I have some questions about this too. Because <laughs> right? I'm like, it's not that groundbreaking of an idea. Yeah. I mean, root beer was like a newer-ish thing. Like, not that long ago. I learned that from the Carousel of Progress. Mm-hmm. But like, it couldn't have taken somebody that long to figure out, put some ice cream in there and it's delicious. Could we have said that the first time it was commercialized as a product? Sure. Let's yeah. go with that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go 1974. 
Wrong. Nice. 1983. <laughs> 1983. <laughs> Same year as Weird Al Yankovic. That was a huge year for <laughs> Big America. <laughs> Big time year. Big time. Wasn't don't don't get me wrong on this. Wasn't someone in our family born in 1983? No. My parents got married in 1983. There it is. Yeah. I knew that number. So big year. Congratulations, you guys. All right. This is your last one. This is my last one. Yeah, go it's, for it. It's also historical. I think I was thinking of, you know, like, not rigid, but, you know, wartime thingies for... Sure. That was a good sentence for... Because we saw 1917. It's about World we War did. One. We did. It is about World War One. This yeah. one is... This happened during the Civil War. Oh, yes. This um, was General John Sedwick's last words, his ironic last words in mm-hmm. the Civil War. He was a Union general. Sure. This is one of the most ironic things I've ever heard. He said to his, his uh, command, he said, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. And a moment later, a bullet hit him through the eye, killing him immediately. Wow. <laughs> That's, that's tough that is tough that's tough and i wish it would have been a confederate but it was a union uh, it was a union um sedwick uh, what's this guy's uh, name john general john sedwick that's tough at the battle of spotsylvania courthouse 19 or sorry this is, this uh, is 18, the 1800s 1863 good job was, i know when the civil war happened it was that 1864 bravo yeah, thank you thank you beautiful job um and the lesson there is just don't speak things like that into the existence. No. You know? It's kind of like on Survivor when they say, I know I'm safe tonight. I'm never going to tell anyone that I have a hidden immunity idol. <laughs> Three I seconds would never. later. <laughs> hey, man, you know I got a hidden immunity <laughs> idol? It's pretty cool. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> Idiots. Yeah, people do say they're safe on Survivor. They're like, I'm, I'm good to go. I think I might leave my idol at home. I don't know. I think oh, I'm... And then they're dead. That's happened so many times. Yep. It's, uh, can't do that. And likewise, you can't be saying things like, well, that's like they said about the Titanic, like not even God could sink this shit. Like you gotta just not. Don't speak that into the world. Bad things happen when you do that. No. It's bad. Okay. Last one. This one's a little tricksy. Okay. The year that Harry Potter was born. And I'm talking about Harry Potter, the character. Oh. Not the Harry Potter book. Cause I was going to say 2001 for the movie. No, but the year that Harry Potter was born, Harry Potter himself. Oh my! Yes, it's a tricksy question mm, because is his wor- is his world? I've never read the books. Is his world as modernized as it shows in the movie, or is he a little bit? I don't know when the first book came out, mm-hmm. but I think it came out. So here's what I'll say: he's he's twelve in the first book. Mm-hmm. He's 12. Yep. Or no, he's 12 in the second book. Sorry. Okay. I think he's like 11 in the first book. I don't know. Okay. So right in that area. He's a young tot in the first book. That's right. He's just a kiddo. And 11 years minus that. Hmm. I mm-hmm. think he's a little older than me. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. I'm going to go. Oh, this is tough. This is tough. I'm going to go. Uh, 1983 <laughs> close 1980 <laughs> all right yeah well done i thought that was tricky because i thought people would say like 1990 yes you know or just like when the book was like i don't know when those books came out but i think it was the early 90s i remember sitting in we called it basic but it was basically latchkey uh like once school lets out you had to go someplace while your parents still worked right yeah sure and I did that. uh we the teachers read harry potter to us so i know that i was like 1996 sitting in a giant multi-purpose room 
uh, in Swansea, Illinois, yeah. listening to Harry Potter. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Well done. All right. Well, that's the game. 19. What? 19. What? I think that was pretty good. I loved it. I think we did great. I mean, we got everyone wrong, basically, but <laughs> it was good effort. It was good effort. All we around. tried. All right. That brings us to our review. Our review. Our eighth review of the Best Picture nominee. Our penultimate review of all Best Picture nominees. And we are right. The Oscars are upon us, Kirk. We're just over a week away. We got this episode. We've got our next episode where we're going to talk about Jojo Rabbit. We're going to do all of our Oscar previews and all of those fun things. And then we're there. We're to the big day. So this is, we're getting close. That's right. Well, will we have a movie in between? Because, oh no, Jojo Rabbit comes out on the 4th. Okay. Jojo Rabbit comes out on the 4th for digital. So we'll watch it. Perfect. I've already pre-ordered it. So I got you. I got you, fam. It's a payback for Parasite. Closing the loop there. We're just sharing. Love it. Um, okay, tweet synopsis. I will go first. 1917 follows Lieutenant Corporals Blake and Schofield on a mission through no man's land to deliver an urgent message. 1,600 soldiers' lives depend on their success. Short and sweet. Sticking with the facts. Mine, mine is short and sweet, too, because there are some... There are, like, big spoilers in this movie. Yes. So I couldn't really go wrong like america tweet. joins world war one <laughs> surprise that's spoiler <laughs> and the the good guys win the war what that's actually not in this movie america's not even in this movie at all they're not no america sighting they gone so okay go ahead sorry set against the backdrop of world war one which is very difficult to say blah 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 <laughs> to- <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Two soldiers embark on a dangerous mission, attempting to save 1,600 soldiers' lives. Nailed it. That's it. Perfect. (laughs) It's like whenever you're trying to copy somebody's homework and, (laughs) you know, you're like, I can't use the exact thing that they said because they turned this in last year and... (laughs) We, I mean, there's no other way to describe this movie other than to just give the facts because, like you said, there are things that can be spoiled. Yeah, there big are there things. are big plot essential things that could be spoiled. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right, let's dive into it. This is a this is an interesting movie. World War One is something we haven't really seen examined in film much recently. World War Two being the mo- the more popular of the wartime films i think uh in terms of like which era they they make them mm-hmm. and this is a very specific this is based on a story that sam mendez the director and co-writer this is a story that his grandfather told him right uh which is really cool and alfred a- alfred h mendez um he was a lieutenant corporal or lance corporal lance, lance corporal. corporal sorry mm-hmm. i said lieutenant corporal but i meant lance corporal yep um in my synopsis. And so this was his firsthand story. So that's, that's pretty nifty. And it, he wrote a book, right? Yes. Uh, of all of his memories. Yeah, yeah. So he pulled that and just obviously knowing and hearing his grandfather speak. Yeah. So, so this was technically an adapted screenplay, um, but pretty cool project overall for Sam Mendes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, let's jump into our acting superlatives. The first one is the Oscar goes to, I went with George McKay, who played uh, Lance Corporal Schofield, and he's a very, I think what I really liked about his performance is how relatable he was, and he really, you know, he gets selected to go on this mission, and he he just really, like, I connected with him in the sense that he was like, man, why am I doing this? This is dangerous, you know, like, 
Um, he gives a very interesting, he's a very interesting juxtaposition to his counterpart, which is, uh, Lance Corporal Blake. Mm -hmm. Um, Lance Corporal Blake has a very romantic view of war. You know, he's like very, um, starry eyed, bushy tailed kind of, he's, he's fresh to it. And, uh, George McKay, who plays Schofield has been home once already and come back to the front lines, you know, so he's felt that. And that was something that really hit home for me was he was like, I wish I had never gone home. And that was like a really powerful moment where he's, you know, at the beginning, I think he, he does a really good job of kind of veiling some of his characters, deep personality traits by seeming like he doesn't care or like, he's just like, a wuss or something like that. But then you find out that like he cares so much and and that's why he's scared. And that's why he doesn't want to do this mission. And that's why, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's thrown his medal away that he, mm-hmm. that he earned. So it, it, he's a very, very, I don't want to say he's a very complex character. He is a complex character, but he's mostly just a really relatable character. Mm-hmm. And I thought that he, didn't play all his cards right out of the gate. He kind of like slow burned it and it led to a really good character development in a movie where I kind of thought it was hard to develop a character Mm -hmm. just because everything's happening in real time. Yes. So that's something that we should mention. And you've probably seen it in the marketing materials. This movie is shot in a way that makes it look like it's one shot. So when people are calling it a one shot movie, it's not technically, they didn't do this in one take, but they edited it in such a way that, it looks like one shot with one minor exception. And so everything that's happening happens in real time. Mm -hmm. So whereas, you know, in other movies, I think you can develop a character more easily because time passes off screen or like things happen off screen in this movie. Every you're seeing everything that happens with this character in real time. And it's a, it's a relatively short period of time. So character development is more challenging. I would say two hours. Yep. Two hour film right here. I also chose George McKay yeah. because he was really fantastic. He's been in several things that we've seen recently. He was in Captain Fantastic. Yes. In, in one of the, the clan of the, the crazy family. He was in something more recently and it escapes me. What else has he been in? Uh, you should definitely just keep your eye on him the whole time because he's his grief of grappling with um, being a patriot and fighting for his country and fighting for what is the at home, that big question is mysterious and draws you in, in the, in just the perfect amount, because you're not like screaming, like, tell me what it is. Like what's back home. You're just like, Oh, something's there. Yeah. Uh, so the nuances of that and, and how he communicates with his counterpart, Lance Corporal Blake, um, and trying to bring him back, back to earth, but then still trying to get on his level, finding a medium between that and not just like yelling at his ideas and calling him dumb. Because the thing about world war one is these men were there and and they were, they knew the goal. They knew the goal. There was no question about it. There was no confusion. It wasn't murky, at least in hindsight to us. And if that's what it seems like, and that's what these stories seem like. Um, uh, I think that, 
Sam Mendes talked about, the director Sam Mendes talked about his grandfather saying that his grandfather didn't really talk about World War One until he was in his 70s. Yeah. And I kind of get the feeling that this that George McKay's character is a little bit about that too because, yeah, he won this medal, but he doesn't care about it. Yeah, he went home and he wished he hadn't gone home because he found out how great he reminded him how great of what he had at home and so the the reflection of that upon how many veterans uh today kind of they don't really want to talk about it because it's a horrific situation that you're in fighting for your life i just think that somehow george mckay captured all of that in just these two short hours that we got him in and i just want to applaud him for that um yeah it's it's a great performance and it's the in my opinion it's the really it's the sole character achievement in this movie like he he's kind of like he's the character that i think you can champion out of this movie in terms of being like appreciating it mm-hmm. that's a really well done character checks the boxes well written well acted well developed kudos yep. so yeah i think i think he was was definitely the right choice yes and what i um, forgot he was in sorry real quick he no, was go ahead. in he was in Stephen King's Hulu adaptation of Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. Oh, that's right, that's right. He did fantastic in that. Like, just f- I forgot it was him until I reread his credits, and I was like, "Oh wow, he did that." That show is the best. It kind of yeah, there's it's got some holes, but he has a solid performance. Yeah, he's a he's an up and comer for sure. Um, okay, Scene Stealer. There were this was an interesting movie for Scene Stealer because there are two main characters, and then there are these cameos i mean for lack of a better term these Seems like, like it, yeah. these one-off cameos you know in the trailer you see colin firth and you see benedict cumberbatch and andrew scott and all these big name actors mark strong and in reality their their screen time is extremely limited so that was one of the things that shocked me about this movie a little bit um but it's just due to the nature of the story and it makes total sense so it's it's kind of hard to pick a scene stealer because there really aren't as many options as you would think. I actually went with Richard Madden, mm-hmm. um, whose character's name I can't tell you because it would be a spoiler, and whose one specific scene that he's in I also can't tell you because it would be a spoiler. But what I can tell you about Richard Madden is that um, his one scene is just really powerful emotionally, and I think it can be hard um, – to be in a position where you don't have a real, I mean, I, I imagine I'm not an actor by any means, but I think it can be hard to be in a position. Don't limit yourself. You're an actor, Cam. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think it could be difficult to be in a position where you don't have a character that you've gotten to live with and grow and, and do things with. You just have to, um, you have to just go based on the brief and kind of, act this one scene which i thought was a really important scene in the movie and he just did a beautiful beautiful job um he's very much disconnected from the main plot of the movie too which i think is interesting and so you know he he's kind of in a situation where like there's this character that you're really really familiar with and then there's him Mm -hmm. and so for him to rise to the occasion because it's a significant moment in the film he had to act really well and he did so yeah it's richard madden showing up in the movie also was like a cameo because again every one of these extra characters that wasn't schofield or um, blake they had very limited screen time you're exactly right oh yeah so it all 
Richard Madden's performance, I liken it to John Bernthal in Peanut Butter Falcon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very short, but very captivating. Important, yep. And that's why I picked him, too, as my scene student. Oh, did you seriously? <laughs> I did. That's funny. I did. I love Richard Madden. How dare you pick my guy? <laughs> I thought you were going to go with the uh, the the kid, the uh, Blake. Blake, I almost did. Because I like romantic things, and it just you described it perfectly. His romantic view of war. I was like this this guy. I, I like this guy. I don't think I've seen him in anything though. I think he has Game of Thrones fame. Is that correct? Who's that? Blake. Yeah, he was in it. Yes. Yep. So that's I did, I I did not see Game of Thrones, so I don't know him from anything else. But um, Richard Madden comes on screen, and um, just uh, you just love him. You love him. Everything. Yeah, about it's him. A, it's a really good scene. It's a really strong scene. I think that there's a reason that it's stuck with both of us, and you'll you'll know it when you see the movie. And I think that uh, yeah, can't say enough about it. Great job. We're man, we're really uh, making this a really interesting <laughs> review by saying the same things. And I'll repeat what he said now. No, I'm, I'm just, just going to record it. <laughs> if you have the same showstopper as me, I'm walking out of this room <laughs> right now. Um, so hold your breath here, or, or I'll start or walking. Change out. it since you go first. I'll start walking out. You'll know what my answer was. <laughs> okay, so let's go into showstopper. This this movie, you know, when we talk about showstopper, we're looking for that thing that takes your breath away. Usually this is something in the production design arena, I think just in terms of like how the movie looks, because those are the things that typically take your breath away for me. And it's hard not to go with the legendary Roger Deakins here, who uh, if you don't know Roger Deakins, he's one of the, he is the greatest cinematographer of all time. He's um, helmed some incredible movies just to name a few, The Shawshank Redemption, Skyfall, Blade, Blade Runner 2049, um, over a hundred others. <laughs> and this was just a really, really another ginormous feather in his cap, this movie. Um, but I'm not going with cinematography. Oh. I'm going with lighting. Excellent. I'm going with the lighting of this film because um, a couple of things about the lighting. First of all, this movie takes place in a war. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it's early 1900s. So like electricity isn't all over the place and it's in a war zone. It's in France. So you deal with the fact that you've got, first of all, the trenches, which are going to be dark and have to be lit a certain way. But you've also got like, there's a scene where he's made it to this town. I forget the name of the town Mm -hmm. and it's like pitch black outside, but there are built set or something. Yeah. There are buildings burning and, um, the light, the way that they use the lighting is like, just looks so natural. I think sometimes you don't think about it if it looks unnatural, but whenever you see something that looks so real, you're like, Oh yeah, that is how it would look like. It was really dark, but you could see what you would have been able to see. I know that's not worded exactly correctly, but they said that, um, there's a scene where this giant tower is, is burning and they had to light it in such a way that it really looked like a pitch black night where this tower is burning and they built what they believe is one of the largest lighting rigs ever in the history of film to accomplish this. So the lighting team was working overtime. The other thing that I thought the lighting really helped with is to change the texture of the film. Cause what can be really hard when you have movies that take place in war, um, Hacksaw Ridge comes to mind, uh, Saving Private Ryan, um, not a war movie, but another movie that comes to mind is Mad Max. 
you get a lot of one texture, one color. So in this movie, it's all taking place in the same geographic area. I think only a couple of kilometers apart, Mm -hmm. but they did a good job of creating color, light textures that it makes a movie feel more full whenever you're actually like going through these different places that look different. And that can be really hard to accomplish in a movie like this. Yeah. So like think of an actor, we want to see the full range of an actor inside of a character, but with lighting, you can do that too, because you're trying to figure out how do we, how do we enhance that on the actor, on the the center of, of, of the storytelling Yeah. and how do we, set the stage the surrounding to let you see what we want you to see when we want you to see it lighting is perfect yeah and like um you know if the if the character is just walking through green grass the whole movie you're like oh my gosh what have i been watching (laughs) you know was this the beginning is this the end where am i what's (laughs) happening and the lighting really helped them to tell this story yeah um, without getting into that situation that's really good as you can tell i did not walk out i'm still sitting here thank god i was like (laughs) if he chose lighting i quit (laughs) that was an excellent choice i chose the storytelling okay so this really goes into the the screenwriting but specifically how they brought the art of storytelling into this film um we are a culture of storytelling we're sitting here on a podcast just talking to you mm. into the abyss. Come on. To get super meta on you. That's right. Getting uh, real. Ages and ages ago, before the iPhones and TVs and theaters, people just told stories sitting around a campfire in tribal settings, right? So the storytelling aspect of this film works in such a great way because when you think about any any of the big wars, especially war, World War One and World War Two. Vietnam, we had drafts in place. People were actively being drafted. So in World War One, there were approximately 2 million people who volunteered and approximately 2.8 million people who were drafted to this war. Yikes. So people who did not want to be there, but it was called upon by their country. Otherwise, you went to jail. Uh, really bad, bad setup. So it's a lose-lose situation. So the, the fact that to survive this crazy situation that is outside of your everyday life to go and battle and fight for what you believe in, in a very real, very real way along the way, all of a sudden you hear the soldiers cracking jokes. You're like, wow, how could you, how could you crack a joke when you're like, you could be shot at any moment. Well, you have to mentally to survive. You have to humanity of it all. Yeah. So there are, so many moments where they're telling stories or singing old songs uh, uh, to uplift each other or to take their mind off of what's actually happening, what the real situation they're in. And the placement of those stories in the placement of where their characters physically are inside this film are so perfectly placed. And I have to, I have to think that a lot of that comes from, uh, Sam Mendes's grandfather again too by telling these and maybe like in the middle of saying hey this is what was going on oh let me tell you this story this comes to mind like then that was part of the storytelling that got like fed into this so I thought the storytelling was absolutely fantastic throughout yeah and and they just kept it simple yeah you know I think that's that's the one thing that really sticks with me about this movie and what I think makes it a um you know I think what really elevates this movie and makes it good is that the through line is very simple it's not convoluted. There's not a bunch of themes built into it. Mm -hmm. It's these guys have to get a message to this group. They Mm -hmm. have to cross over no man's land to do it. The end, you know, there's no crazy deep symbolic crap going on. It's just, 
which is kind of refreshing because yeah and i like the crazy. you know me i love the crazy deep symbol of course crap. I, lo- I love to like dig into all that stuff but it was pretty neat to see a movie that was like hey here's this here's this old war story boom that's it and let's see how it affects them yeah let's watch that was cool that was cool all right um let's move on to the flip side of that coin which is director's shoes what we would have changed um i got a couple of things here so first of all and this is this is a hot take alert i'm going to warn you on that i didn't think this movie was well scored okay i didn't think this movie was well scored and i know that it's nominated for best original score i respectfully disagree with that nomination i thought that the the whole vibe of the score was too modern and didn't quite meet us where the story was. So there were times where, you know, the, the modern themes, there were just, it was very like, it's like Skyfall actually. That's what I was thinking of it during it. Or it just sounded like a modern military movie with like the percussive, like to do, to do, to do like that just sounded way too modern to me. I was wanting like a more, big sweeping um horn driven kind of like a um like more of a fanfare john williams score because that matches the era and that matches the the vibe Mm -hmm. of the movie and i just didn't think that this composition did it for me so that there were times where um score plays a really big role in how you feel emotionally about a film and uh kind of the ebbs and flows that you go through and i just didn't feel like the score was meeting the moment so that's one and i know that not many people will agree with me on that one i don't care Um, (laughs) another one was these um i'm gonna call them like set pieces where you have so you have like the colin firth thing in the bunker that's like big moment number one. And then the next one is like their encounter with Andrew Scott's character when they're about to go into no man's land. Like the whole movie felt like they're just moving from one set piece to the other. And like everything else that was happening was just a means to the next thing happening to me in a, in, in a way. So it didn't feel to me at times it didn't feel totally cohesive. And it felt like sometimes it's like you're almost watching it like a horror movie weirdly like what's the next big scare Mm -hmm. that's going to happen or what's the next big thing that's going to happen rather than okay take me through the whole story what's going on um so i thought those were a couple of things and then overall you know what i'll save the rest for final thoughts (laughs) i'll save the rest for final thoughts but i got you i think my big one was the score Mm -hmm. i didn't like it i i really thought that yeah, uh, I was surprised because I went back to check, like, did this get nominated for Best Original Score? And I was shocked to see that it had because I just thought it was a really odd choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know when you um, pour water into your ear to get the water out of it in the pool? <laughs> like, you don't pay attention to the scores yeah. in movies, I'll be honest. Um, I think that that's attributed to that. And I was a DJ at a skating rink for seven years. So, <laughs> like, I kind of forget about the score. So, like, when you talk about the score, I'm like, hmm, did I remember it? <laughs> <laughs> and I did not, which is also probably a sign that it wasn't that great. Yeah. So, kudos. Kudos to you on that. Um, my director's shoes... Um, I really enjoyed this movie, but there's there's a moment, and this is super nitpicky because I can see what they were doing in the film in the cinematography. You you get these like really close shots of our two 
lance corporals yeah. because you're like seeing the tunnel vision that they have for the mission and then it like widens out and you're like oh my gosh look at them there's this giant world out here that they could be killed at any moment well there's a moment in this movie where out of nowhere you think it's just the two of them you think that's it I think we're just going to see the two of them till they till they get to the big the big 1600 group of soldiers out of nowhere these other guys start ch- chatting with them they're like oh hey it's we're over here I mean, they should have heard them a mile away. Like, they have, like, 12 different vehicles. <laughs> yeah. There's, like, uh, there's probably at least 100 men with them. And it comes as a total surprise to our to our two main characters that they show up out of nowhere. So, th- I don't know why that thing drove me nuts. Yeah. Um, to the point where I thought, like, are is this the enemy? Like, are they, are they, are they good guys? Are they on... Are they on the Amer? Are they, are they on the the Allied forces? Are they on the Axis forces? You know, but it's World War One. So are they the good that good guys or the bad guys dressed up like good guys? So that scene, I was confused for a long time. Yeah, I didn't trust it, and I didn't understand it. I also thought it might have been a dream, and I'll let you decide when you see this movie mm. if it was or not. Mm. So that made me crazy mad. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I get that for sure. Um, that's a good one. Yeah, I thought. So this whole thing is one shot or it's, it's meant to look at like one shot. Mm -hmm. First of all, there's a scene where consciousness is lost for, you know, our, our, one of our guys, Schofield. And they pretty obviously like it goes to black and you wake up at a different time. So it's like one shot. Bah. (laughs) You know, I kind of got like grouchy old man about that. I was like, you tricked me. But there are other times in these movies, like, and it was the same with Birdman and with The Revenant, where the whole effect is, like, very cool, and I I dig it, and I actually think it's really well suited for a war movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked how they used it in Birdman because of what it meant thematically for that movie, but I thought if you're going to do it, do it in a war movie. But there are just certain things about that technique that it's almost like you're waiting for them to mess up and it makes it easier to notice some of the tricks that they're pulling. Mm. Like you talking about the close-ups, it's like, well, yeah, they're trying to transition because mm. they want to cut there. They're moving set pieces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They want to, they want to cut. And yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting effect. It, it, it ends up being really effective and, and working, but yeah, there are some weirdness to it. Um, okay. Let's go into final thoughts. And here's what I will say. And I'm going to do my best not to score this as a best picture nominee. But when I look at the best picture nominees that I've seen right now, this one comes in seventh place out of eight for me. Wow! And it only tops out Ford versus Ferrari, which if you'll remember me mentioning earlier, that's the movie I think I was too high on. Okay. That movie I gave a 9.0 and I don't think that really is where I'm at now. I can't remember for the life of me what I gave that movie. I think you gave it an 8.5. Okay. So yeah, when I look at this movie, I think it's a really, it's a really impressive cinematic feat. I think what they did with the camera work was good for the genre. I thought that it was really effective and looked excellent between the lighting, the cinematography, the effects, all of it looked good. I thought it was well acted for the most part, but it just didn't give me anything new. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, even the story itself is sort of, while being a true story, is not some sort of new groundbreaking concept that we've not seen. And so that's those are the kinds of movies that t- 
take it to the next level. Like I actually think of like Hacksaw Ridge is a good one where you've got this really off the wall war movie concept. Like it's about a medic. Yes. Or it's about a guy who's administering, you know, field help Mm -hmm. and medical assistance to people. That's cool. That's different. Um, For my money, you know, I talk about seven out of eight for the Oscars. I want something that's groundbreaking. I want something that's new. This didn't have that feel to me. So I'm giving it 8.4 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Great score still. Great score still. No, it's still a great movie. Yeah, yeah I, I want to make sure that's known. It's still a great movie. I was worried when you came out here with your new resolution. I was like, he's going to like give no, this like no, a no. 5.0. It, yeah, no, no. <laughs> it, let me be clear. Not it's, an excellent, it's an excellent movie, but it just doesn't have the flash that I need for, yeah. for uh, best picture and for the nine point range. Sure. I got uh, I, I have to say that war movies, for whatever reason, they get me. Yeah. They, I just, I feel like <clears throat> I attach to that notion of, oh my goodness, what if the draft is reinforced or what if I was alive during that time? That would be us. That would be us. We would be in full fatigues fighting. Well, I'm almost for... aged out. What's that? I looked it up because all this Iran stuff that's going on. Oh. I'm almost aged out of that. Well, then I'm aged out. Yeah, 26 is like the last year. All right, so there I'm we go. Out. So I, we're, we're Gucci. I guess I think back to myself because I'm a male and at yeah. one time I was, you know, in there. You know, when, you, when you're a male and you turn 18 and you go and you register for the draft. It's kind of serious. You kind of think through it. You're like, yeah. you're In your mind, you're like, I don't want to do that. But They're like, hey, you have to. to do this if you want to go to college. Yes. Or we'll take all your money away. It's pretty crazy. So I think that that's why war movies get to me because I 100% could have been any one of these men. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I I very much so get, you know, emotional during the movies, but I rarely cry during movies. I will say that. Mm-hmm. I was crying during this movie yeah. because of that that sheer fact and the thinking of like what does he have back at home and um what's he thinking as he's just like being shot at all the time, you know, both of the characters, you know. So I hear you loud and clear on on how it doesn't have something new. I think the the construct of war just gets me personally and subjectively. So Yeah. That's what's that's what's cool about. Yeah, weirdly, I was world. just not moved by this movie. Yeah, it's the it's it's bizarre, and like if I when I think back to it, I'm like, there's some really powerful stuff going on there. Come back to the score, I think. I don't know. I have because <laughs> I, I have to find a reason for why this movie just didn't really move me. Mm-hmm. And I'm an emotional guy when it comes to movies. I'm definitely, I don't like hold it back. I let myself get there. Yeah, but. Yeah, just didn't do it for me. But. Yeah, it's this and Judy is what I've cried to so far this year. So I don't know what that says about me. So. I mean, Judy got me. Judy <laughs> oh, got gosh. me. Marriage story. <sighs> yeah. Marriage story hit me hard. Yeah. So, yeah. My score for this one, because yay America, the good parts of America, and the the right fights and everything, I would say I'm going to go with a 9.4. Oh, that's good. I like this one Good a lot. score. Mm-hmm. I mean, America's not in this movie at all. It's true. That's very true. But yay, good guys versus bad guys, right? <laughs> I know history real well. <laughs> but no, there's a, there is a sort of like, yes, World War One. There's like a certain like yeah. umph to that. We came, we came into it at some point. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, what year were we in it? We so I'm glad you asked, Kirk. I'm glad you asked because um, the the date that they flash on the screen in the movie is April sixth. 1917 and this historical significance of that date is that that is the day that America entered the conflict against Germany. Whoa. But that's never brought up in this movie, presumably because 
these guys are on the front lines. Right. And it's 1917. So, like, they're not going to know. And the, the war ended in 1918. Yeah, and it, it's actually... I think they give that date. I was thinking about that because I'm like, what do they give the date? That's very interesting. I think they give it to to help with the stakes of the movie mm-hmm. because like these guys, I mean, the war ends. So yeah, the war ends 11, 11, 1918, right? Um, Veterans Day, Armistice Day. Mm-hmm. But America tried to stay out of this one. There was the Zimmerman note and all of that stuff. Yep. Um, there's a good chance these soldiers that we see in this movie thought this was it, you know, that they were the last line of defense, these British soldiers. And so they didn't think that any help was on the way to help them in this conflict. So it kind of does raise the stakes of this movie when you think about it yeah, um, because of what they're trying to accomplish. So it, it is, it, at first I was like, I don't see the point of that date, especially with America not being in here, but there is some historical significance to consider like these guys were trying to, hold on to every last man they could because they they thought they were going to be have to be last man standing that just makes me like the movie more <laughs> now yeah, I'm, now yeah. i'm ready for a second viewing because there's a couple of scenes that a couple of parts of dialogue that make more sense now uh, because of that so that's really exciting yeah oh man i love the is it is it benedict cumberbatch it is. yes <laughs> there's only one way this ends last man standing yes yeah that's a terrible accent but you know the the epicness of that delivery i was like yes aubrey could not did not recognize it was him because of his his makeup and everything she's like wait who was that (laughs) so well done makeup design she couldn't figure it out and well done benedict cumberbatch for disguising your your he's awesome i love benedict cumberbatch incredible he's he's so great i love how they were just like all right and let's line up all the token British <laughs> folks. Like, what is this? We do this for everything. They're like, okay, guys, we're making a, a Sherlock Holmes series. Get me Mark Strong, mm-hmm. Andrew Scott, Benedict Cumberbatch. Who else we got? Uh, is Michael Caine available? Anyone? Anyone? I'm Aww. surprised he wasn't in this one. To be Shocking. fully honest with you, cut scene. <laughs> he should have been the. He should have been the guy blowing the whistle, saying, "Hold fast." <laughs> he should have been that guy. Yes, because they literally brought out everybody. I actually uh, chuckled to myself when Mark Strong came on the screen because yeah. he's he's totally that guy that they're just like, and here's another British guy. <laughs> okay, when Mark Strong came on, okay, I'm glad you brought this up. I always get him confused with Tucci every time. Oh yeah, I Stanley can see Tucci. that. I, I don't know why. That. Every time they looks they're bald. They've yeah, got no, a very they have similar face. similar bone structure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Tucci uh, gang, Tucci gang, Tucci gang. Yeah. Gets me every time. All right, let's move into our uh, squeeze pick real quick. Let's do it. We're doing Squeer Pick of War Films, and this is a this is a great genre. Mm-hmm. This is the genre that gets your blood pumping, gets you feeling all patriotic or just really sad about the state of foreign policy, however you feel. <laughs> um, it's your turn to start, Kirk. Perfect. I'm going to go with the one, the only, the great escape. Oh, okay, good. I thought when you were saying the one, the only, I was like, oh no, he's going to steal the one that I'm going to pick first. Ooh, rats. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a great pick. Steve McQueen, right? Steve McQueen. I absolutely love this film. Um, my parents told me, I think they were watching it. Like it was just on like TCM uh, one time when I was a kid and they're like, Hey, yeah, you're old enough. Go just go watch that. And I rented it from blockbuster and I sat in the, in the living room by myself. I watched this whole thing. It's like eight hours long and highly recommend uh, The Great Escape if you have not seen it. It is uh, an American classic. And if you saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they actually ha- steal a scene from this and implant um, uh, Leo DiCaprio. That's right. For Steve McQueen. It's very excellent. Very excellent film. 
Yeah, that's one of the it's one of the great movies of all time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the the Great Escape. It's always up there on all the big lists, and it's you know Steve McQueen's obviously a legend. It's a great story, a great movie. Yes. Okay, my first pick. I'm going with the one, the only Saving Private oh, Ryan. That was my next pick. <laughs> and I think that this is just really like this is the bar for war for war films to me. I I, mean, I remember before I was old enough to watch Saving Private Ryan. I heard I had heard so much about it. And I was very excited because I was a young boy and I was like, oh man, I cannot wait till I get to watch Saving Private Ryan. It sounds so cool. It's about war. And then we watched it in my history class in high school. And I was like, ah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like so sobering and so real. And just the way they depict the D-Day situation, um, it, it then it hits home you know you went from being like oh this is so so cool war movie <laughs> you know like yeah. being an idiot and then you're like wow that's insane you know mm-hmm. and that people were fighting for what they believed in like this and that this is what it looked like and um you know i obviously you hear stories about people who saw that movie in theaters and like had to walk out because they were there in world war ii and it's like very real so they did an excellent job with the movie um and i think it's a really compelling story it's it's a it's an intense movie, but a great one. It is. Yeah, I remember a very similar thing. My social studies teacher in eighth grade for years would say, you're going to get a permission slip signed. If your parents agree, we're going to watch the opening scene on Normandy Beach. And my parents agreed. They said, yep, you, you can watch it. We know you can handle it. And we just watched the opening scene, which is about 15, yeah. 15 minutes solid. And it just like as an eighth grader, like people in the class were just sobbing like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's intense. It's just totally intense. Such a good movie. All right. Your second pick. Oh, there's so many, there's so many Cam. There are. Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Schindler's list. Hmm. I think that's kind of an unconventional. It is right. Like, I think it's a, it's a war movie. Sorry, not to just jump in. Mm-hmm. It's a war movie, but it's not like a war movie. Kind of both of them are. It's, yeah, it's kind of on the outskirts. Like they've they've been in war, um, and specifically with Schindler's List, we're seeing the Holocaust. Yeah, um, uh, some survivors and some who meet their end due to the horrible evil Nazis. Right. So those things like resonate with me because they bring such hope. Because these are the people who are surviving. And I really like survivor stories. Yeah. Um, in movies where the main character dies, like I get it. Some Like when it happens, it happens. And sometimes if it's done well, I can agree with it. But especially these these stories and especially Schindler's List, survival based on a true story, it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good call. Um, for my second pick, I am going to go with... Oh, I'm kind of between two. I'm going to go with Zero Dark Thirty. Okay. It's also an unconventional war film. Um, It's about, you know, America's pursuit of Osama bin Laden and uh, the woman who is leading that charge from an intel intel perspective. I can't remember her name, but just a total boss. Jessica Chastain gives an incredible performance in this movie. Um, It's pretty gritty. There's some... There's some like terrorist interrogation scenes that are pretty intense, but I really like the overall story of the movie and how different it is from 
other war films, you know, it's, it's about a manhunt rather than it's modern war, you know, modern war is kind of like that. Um, and how you can nowadays we have department of Homeland security and department of defense fighting the, you know, our conflicts from here. And it was a kind of an interesting take on how that whole situation went down. I felt like it was really informative. That's, I should watch that. I've never seen it. Oh, it's good. I've never I, seen I, it. I think I'm probably higher on that movie than, than most, but I really like it, so I wanted to pick it. Yeah, I like that pick. Um, what to do? I have like 30 on my list. Same, so same, yeah. It's so difficult. And uh, oh, gosh, I think I'm going to go... Well, I talked about survivors, so let's go with the Vietnam War. I'm going to go with Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Apocalypse Now, good yeah. choice. Yeah, super, super big, um, big war movie, Vietnam War. Incredibly shot, in- incredibly um, kind of manic story, um, and again does does really well with the chaos of this war and showing you what the rules were of this war when it mattered and what they were when it didn't. Yeah, uh, really, really incredible movie. All right, good pick for my third pick. I am going with Fury, ah, which is the uh, and I picked it here because I knew you had it on your list for sure. <laughs> it's I like it because of how unique it how unique it is. It's about a you know a I don't I don't know all the correct terms a team a team of people who drive tanks in World War Two. Yes, and they're competing against the superior. Um, German engineering, you know, they've Germans got the Panzers, those giant, you know, Panzer tanks, and these are the American tanks. And uh, it's crazy, you know, like they have battle scenes where it's like tanks facing off against each other. And this was kind of new technology in World War II, just a totally different side of that conflict, which um, I always like things that are unique. So, mm-hmm. Fury and really good acting performances by Brad Pitt and by Shia LaBeouf for sure among among many Who others in that tank they're all so good yeah it's remember. a it's a whole group and they do a great job as an ensemble so fury beautiful choice is this my number four it is yeah I'm going hacksaw ridge ah yes although it is a newer film mel gibson directed this andrew garfield stars in it and if you've never seen a film with andrew garfield in it just prepare yourself because when he cries you cry it's true. When it's his, just a fact. <laughs> when his heart breaks, yours breaks mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. He he's just incredible at showing that. He's th- like Tom Holland in that way. Yes, they're beautiful. Or criers. rather, Tom Tom Holland is like Andrew Garfield. Right. Yeah. They could. They should play brothers in a movie or oh, something. Oh no, they, my heart can't can't handle that. Kirk. <laughs> Welcome to this movie where you die because you're so sad <laughs> yeah. after watching it. Um, yeah. Again, with the uniqueness of of what we of structures of war movies from the past and seeing what they are, what they can be, and these untold stories. It's based on a true story. Absolutely incredible. Go watch it. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, for my fourth pick, I'm going way way back to the Civil War, and I am choosing Gettysburg. Okay. Gettysburg is a four hour movie. Yes. And what's great about it is that it's just totally like entrenched in the strategy and the history of that conflict and like all the costumes, the costume design is really excellent. And they talk so much about the strategy of that battle, which is um, one of the most insane 
historical things that's ever happened in America, certainly on American soil, uh, the battle of Gettysburg. Um, and it goes into all of the craziness that was the civil war, Mm -hmm. you know, like people fighting within their own country, in some cases fighting against people that they knew, like crazy, crazy, crazy stuff that happened in the 1800s. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, for war movies, it's a lot of times really good to get all of the historical context. I love all that stuff. And Gettysburg goes the extra mile on all the details. Mm. We watched it in my eighth grade class. I was absolutely glued to it the whole time. Not sure if I could sit through that four hours again, but I might have to give it a whirl sometime soon. That was that was a dark horse right there. I, I forgot that movie existed, but I've also seen the whole thing through. It was between that and Glory. Glory's, Glory was on my list and as I, well. Here. I love I love Glory, but Gettysburg, for whatever reason, has like an emotional place in my heart. Mm-hmm. All right, my final one. War film comes down to... I thought you were going to say War Horse because you said War. Pause. <laughs> so I was like, War Horse? Well, I mean, that, that one would... It's definitely an option. It's definitely an option. Oh, this is tough. I've got to go again with the survivor story. I'm going with Rescue Dawn. Rescue Dawn. Mm-hmm. Wow, good choice. Another Vietnam film. It's got Christian Bale, Steve Zahn, and the guy who always plays uh, Charles Manson in, in like TV movies and everything. I forget his name. He was on Lost for a period of time. He's got like long dark hair. Again, looks like Charles Manson. Gotcha. Um, but this movie, uh, they uh, Charles um, Christ- Charles Bale. Charles Manson Bale. <laughs> Christian Bale is a pilot flying over Vietnam. His plane crashes. He gets captured. And we follow him as a prisoner of war uh, for a number of months, many, many months, and how they they were treated. American soldiers were treated. Also, based on a true story, also a survivor story. And it's just fantastic to see the resilience of the human body and the resilience of not giving up any any hope or any... um, any strategic facts about war like well yeah you're gonna have to kill me uh, as hard as that is to say so really incredible just thinking about when that actually happens in real life yeah crazy stuff also happy birthday christian bale happy Today birthday is christian bale's birthday that's right i think he's what 40 46 or something excuse today? me yeah he's 46 i'm 30 but i sound older than him as i cough to death it's the coronavirus you gotta watch out for that it'll get you dude i'm scared it'll get you all right final pick i'm going with dunkirk Chris Nolan's epic, epic World War II film. Mm-hmm. Um, that story just blows me away. And the way that they chose to tell it in those three phases of like land, sea, and air, and air um, wild, wild times, and the different, you know, he finds a way. Even though it's like a factual war film, he found a way to like, how can I Chris Nolan this up? Like, how can I make this? <laughs> weird and wacky and kind of confusing, but awesome. Um, he did that with Dunkirk. Beautiful movie. It was like the first movie I ever owned in 4k. Like I just gotten a 4k TV that's right. and a 4k. You guys actually came over to watch it. That's right. And we watched it in 4k and I was just like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> it was amazing. So yeah, Dunkirk. It's my final pick. Beautiful. Honorable mentions. I had letters from Iwo Jima. Heartbreaking movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Black Hawk down American sniper and glory. Do you want to hear all of mine? <laughs> no, just your <laughs> highlights. What was like fringe? Oh gosh. Uh, well, I had 1917 up there <clears throat> because it was so good. War Horse, American Sniper. I put Star Wars, Outlaw King, 
Star Wars, Kirk. War. Oh, come on. And War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't pick those. I would have freaked out. <laughs> I would have freaked out on you. But I didn't want you to hate me. Yeah, let us know which war movies we missed. It's, this is a robust genre with tons and tons of good movies. Um, so definitely let us know what we missed. Thank you for bearing with us on this weird, wacky schedule we're on. We're going to get back on track. Probably not next week, though, because um, Jojo Rabbit doesn't come out on digital until Tuesday. So we'll have to watch it Tuesday, which means mm-hmm. we can't record a new episode on Monday night. We'll record it live. We'll watch the movie and talk about we'll just, it. Yeah, well, <laughs> that would be that would be really a bad Are idea. Are there any copyright laws to that? Because that would be fun. No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, as long as you can't like hear the audio of the film in the background, so. I think we'd be good to go. Um, so yeah, if you have a chance to watch Jojo rabbit before next week, highly recommend so you can follow along with us and give your takes, um, post it on social today. Feel free to hit us up carpe DM. We want to hear from you. Um, if you think it's dumb or stupid or weird or whatever, like doesn't matter. We want to talk about it. I want to hear your movie takes. Uh, you can contact us many, many ways through social media and also email, and Cam's um, cell phone number is six. No. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll give out our cell phone numbers, my home address, social security <laughs> number, anything else you need. Um, yeah, that's it. Hopefully I don't have bronchitis for the next episode. And get better. We'll, we'll try to heal up and be ready. Oscars are upon us. The Oscars are upon us. So we got to get ready. One more episode to the Oscars. We will get you guys ready to go next week. All right. Until that time. Special thanks to Ryan Spriggs, who, as always, helps us produce this podcast, and to Ryan Spriggs and Brandon Aristed for our awesome theme music. We will see you all next week. Talk to you then. (laughs) 